listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Ephesians 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the ushers are coming down the aisles and uh, they have one for you. Uh, You're welcome to get that. If you don't have one, uh, they tell me I get to give stuff away today. You can take it home with you. And and so make sure you have a copy of God's Word today. We're going to be looking in Ephesians um, chapter 3. Well, it is a great privilege for uh, Sue and I to be back in beautiful British Columbia, Um, We love being here. We spent uh, three years of our lives uh, in BC. Now, we were even further west. We lived on Vancouver Island for uh, three years. Uh, You've met my son, Carl. Uh, He's been here and he's preached. And so greetings from Carl. And uh, he's a little jealous that I'm here and he's not. Uh, But um, it's a privilege to uh, bring greetings from him. Both he and his sister were born on Vancouver Island. And so uh, we love being here and being a part of what uh, God is doing. And uh, now for us to come to Kelowna. It was the first time I'd ever been to Kelowna. It was when we flew in on Thursday and to spend some time uh, with Melvin and Charlotte and uh, getting to know your city and what God is doing in your church. And I've got to tell you, I'm excited to see what God is doing, but also what uh, God is going to do. As we've been out west, one of the uh, great things we've been encouraged by is the vision of the churches in Calgary and here in Kelowna towards church planting. That's part of what our movement is about. It's part of what we're excited about. And And uh, to see what God will do uh, from the ground up as churches are growing, what God will do in uh, planting more churches out here and are just rejoicing in that. Um, as was mentioned, I am the uh, Canadian director for the Great Commission Collective. The uh, Great Commission Collective is a, church, a group of about 120 churches around the world. Um, of that number, uh, 17 of those churches um, are in Canada. Um, two of that 17 are either church plants that are being developed right now, uh, one in North Toronto, and, or are, um, also there's a campus church um, of our church in Muskoka. And so that's a, those are the 17 churches that um, I'm working with and uh, seeking to help and encourage. Along with that, part of the bigger picture of, of the GCC and uh, what God is using to develop um, that ministry, um, but also then in that uh, with opportunity to uh, serve in Eastern. In Europe, and I know of, of your heart and involvement in Moldova, and uh, so uh, thankful to God for that, as you as a church don't see yourself just here, but uh, what God will do through you around the world is an important uh, piece in that, and uh, so I'm very excited about that. People ask me, so what do you do? Well, I started on January the 1st, so I'm still trying to figure some of that out, just to be real honest with you. I was the pastor at Harvest York Region. Um, We were a church that God had blessed and uh, grown, but then God was working in our lives to what the next thing was for us, and uh, we're excited to be a part still of that church, but now moving into a new role. So if I was to explain to you what I do kind of in four buckets, I would say it like this. Uh, My first uh, bucket would be healthy pastors and leaders, but primarily healthy pastors. And so Sue and I are traveling as we've been out. We've met with each of the pastors and their wives and spent time with them. Uh, Healthy pastors leading strong churches. Um, As God grows his church and strengthens his church, then other church will be used to multiply around the world. So healthy pastors, that's one bucket. Strong churches, how can uh, we encourage in that? Seeing the men's retreat, that could be part of it. Uh, Conferences that happen. 
happened, training that happened, tools that are available to churches. That's all, all part of uh, strong churches. And then the next part, the next bucket would be uh, planting healthy, reproducing, God-glorifying churches around the world. And um, that's the third bucket. And um, church planting is on my heart. The Lord allowed us to be part of a church plant in York Region and from our church to plant a church in Durham, Ontario, which was uh, to the east of us, and then up in Newmarket, which was uh, to the north of us. And uh, so planting uh, churches. And then the last bucket is uh, recruiting other churches that might want to join us along the way. And so um, that's what I do. I'm trying to figure out what the rhythms are um, to that new role. It's very different than being in a church. Uh, but so um, you can pray for us in that as we uh, seek to serve God in that way. But we're excited about what the Lord will do and uh, how he is encouraging his church. And I'm excited about Kelowna and what God is doing here and what he will do. All right, I didn't come to talk about GCC. I really came to talk about God's Word. And so I trust you've got your Bibles open. Uh, we want to focus in Ephesians uh, 3 today. Really, the message is vertically challenged on purpose. Thinking vertically on our purpose. Do you ever give that much thought? Do you ever think about why you are here? Why you're here as a person? Or why you're here as a church? Um, you know, um, let's think about the church first. What is the purpose of the church. Well, you have a banner up, actually up there that says what it is. Um, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Uh, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Now, if I hadn't given the answer before the question and I'd said to you, what is the purpose of the church? You might have said to me, well, the purpose of the church is discipleship. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. Um, and that wouldn't be a wrong answer, but it wouldn't be the first answer. The main purpose of the church is not to make disciples. Uh, the main purpose of the church is not evangelism, although evangelism is important. I'm going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ in a few moments. With, without the gospel, we've, we've left a big part of the church out and what it's for. But it's not the main purpose of the church. The main purpose is not discipleship. The main purpose is not evangelism. The main purpose is not how many people can we get in the seats. The main purpose is not is there enough in the offering plate. The main purpose of the church is not social justice. All of those things are okay things and they're right things, but they're not the main thing. The main thing of the church is to glorify God. And you see, when you get that right, then you get the rest of it right. When you get it wrong, you get the rest of it wrong. Um, if, if you think the main purpose of the church is doing stuff on Sunday morning, then getting here at whatever crazy hour the people got here to set things up this morning, it gets dry really fast and you're ready to quit. And it's why do we keep doing this? And the poor guys are after we're all left and gone or still taking things down or wondering why do we do this? Or, or the people who get a special reward who serve in the nursery, you know, and they got those snotty nosed kids in there and they go home with a cold or the flu or worse every week because they serve Jesus? If, if your main purpose is to take care of kids, well, then it gets tiring real fast. But if the main purpose is to glorify God, uh, then we get things in a right perspective. You see, the purpose of the church is not those other things first. The main purpose is to glorify God. That's the purpose of the church. Well, what's the purpose of our life? Why do I exist? As a follower of Jesus Christ, why am I here today? 
The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In 1 Corinthians 10 verses 31 to 30, it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, we do that every day. You, you probably had breakfast before you came. You're starting to think about what you're going to have for lunch. And, and you're wondering what will be there for dinner. And, and what's going to be at Pastor Meldon's house uh, next Friday. And all that. You're already thinking about whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. And so now it's been spread out to everything else we do in our lives. Do all to the glory of of God. See, I think some people think that our purpose, our purpose in life is to make money. I make money so I can support my family, so I can have a house. That's my main purpose, not your main purpose. Your main purpose is to glorify God. When your main purpose is to glorify God, the priority of wealth, the priority of money, the priority of resources gets put in a right place. But when money's first and God is not, then it's very confusing to us. Uh, some people think their uh, main purpose in life is to have a family. Um, I'll, have a, I'll have a wife and we'll have kids. And God gave us two wonderful kids. I am hugely blessed. We have our son Carl. He was our first. We have a daughter whose name is Beth. And uh, I have two kids who love the Lord, who married two kids who love the Lord and have given us six grandchildren. Now, I know Sue doesn't look anywhere old enough to have six grandchildren, um, but we do, and we're thankful for them, but they're not our main purpose. Our main purpose is to glorify God, and then we pray for our kids out of that. We, we seek to raise them out of that. We uh, pray for our grandchildren. We have six grandkids. Um, two of them have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Four of them are being trained up. and but They haven't made that decision yet. And uh, we pray for all six of them. We pray for our, their spouses, uh, their mom and dads. We pray for them every day that, that God would work in them because our, our main purpose is to glorify God. It's not about family. It's not about money. It's not about your job. It's not about your education. Those things are all right, but if you get them in the wrong order, they become a problem. Uh, here's the last one I would mention on the, on the personal level, and that is, would be around our toys, the things that we have. Um, nothing wrong with um, having wealth. The question is, does wealth have you? Um, do you, the things that you have that God has given you, are they being used for the glory of God? And I've seen very wealthy people who use the things that God has given them and they're being multiplied out and God is using them and rejoicing in them. There were wealthy people in the Bible and God worked in them and worked through them. But the main purpose, the first thing for us is to glorify God. So that gets us to our text. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I love to do this. We do this in our church. Would you stand with me as uh, we read God's word? And I'm going to start at verse 7 and read down to uh, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 21. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things 
So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth has been, is named, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend all this, all this, with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we uh, have your word in your hand. I pray, God, that you would now um, give us ears to hear it again. Would you do in our hearts what we can't do? For the person who's here today, who's maybe their heart has become cold and hard, that you would soften them through the work of your spirit. The person who needs to be encouraged today, Lord, would you encourage them through uh, your word? The person who needs to be corrected today, Lord, would, would you take your word as only you can? Would you bring that correction? Not correction from a speaker, but correction from the spirit of God through your word. And Lord, the person who's in the room who's never trusted Jesus Christ, would they just see how awesome you are and what you've accomplished for them as we uh, come up to this Easter season and realize the finished work of Jesus Christ? Would they understand, comprehend that you did to satisfy um, the wrath of, uh, because of our sin, what we could not do in our salvation in Jesus Christ? Would you bring them to that place of repentance and faith and trusting Jesus Christ? Lord, do what you only can do in this place. Would we leave here saying, look what the Lord has done? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, quickly, I want to dive in and, and move our way through seven uh, principles to help us to live on purpose. If we're going to be people of God who live on purpose, uh, here are seven things. Each of them comes right out of the text. The first one is you have to understand the value of the gift. If you're going to live on purpose, if you're going to get it right about your money and about your things and about your education and about your family, if you're going to get it right about those things, you have to understand the value of the gift. Now look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul comprehended how awesome the work of Jesus Christ was in his salvation. It turned his world upside down. It changed him. It moved him in a whole new direction. He, he calls himself in that verse, he calls himself a minister. Really, the word is a, a, a table waiter, a, a servant. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of, of God's grace. The gift of God's grace the gospel, the good news. Hey, it's Palm Sunday. 
And we think about Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem and, and all of the cheering that's going on and the people looking forward to what would be accomplished, thinking he was going to come and be the ruler. And he was, not what they were thinking, uh, but, but he was. He was coming to satisfy. He was coming to uh, bring the gospel. He was coming to uh, make possible for us uh, the way back to God. We've been separated. We're dead in our sins. And, and, and the great news about of what was going to happen a week later wasn't about Jesus becoming a king in Jerusalem. It was it Jesus being the king of kings and that he would come and he would satisfy God's wrath. This is the grace of God. This is God's goodness that's poured out for us. We need to in our lives. I need to in my life make Christ big Make him bigger every day as you talk about what God has done, as you think about what Christ has accomplished. Make him big in your life because without him, you're separated from God and you have no hope. There's nothing you can do. You can't satisfy what, what, what has been caused by our sin. So many of you in the room have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now that's the beginning. That's where we begin. Understand the value of this awesome gift that God gave you. See, the Bible says there's not one person who's righteous, not even one. Not one. No one seeks after God. Not even one. Said this a little bit to the men last week. I, you know, we, sometimes people think, well, you know, I was on a journey and I found God. No, you didn't. No. No one seeks after God. The only reason anyone ever comes to Christ is because God does a work and he begins that work. Now, do you go through a journey? Yeah, you do. But because God did this work in you, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He made you alive in Jesus Christ. I told the guys last week when we were away on the retreat, the only thing that you brought to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. The only thing you brought, you didn't bring anything else. God brought all of the rest of it. He made it all possible for you. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're saved. Understand the value of the gift. See, we should live every day out of the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before your, fit, your feet hit the floor in the morning... Rejoice in the gospel that you have in Jesus Christ. Rejoice of the hope that you have because you transferred your trust from what you believed in and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so you can move into your day with confidence. You don't have to worry about what is going to come. We don't have to worry about how things are going to end. We win. But it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of what he did. I was eight years old when I put my faith in Christ. Uh, some of you, your story would be very different than that. Some of you, maybe more recently, you have, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You know, if you, if you answer the question that God would ask, why should I let you into my heaven? And if your answer has anything to do with you, you have the wrong answer to the question. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what he did. Why, why should I let you into my heaven? Because I'm with him. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did for me. That's why. Because I put my faith and trust in Christ. See, if you want to live your life for the glory of God, you have to understand how awesome the gospel is. How amazing the work of Jesus Christ is. And, and that's what Paul is doing here in this text. Of this gospel. Of this good news 
I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. God pouring his blessing, his goodness, pouring out on me what I didn't deserve. That was true of Paul the Apostle. It's true of Paul Whittingstall. It's true of Pastor Melvin. It's true of everyone in this room who's trusted Jesus Christ. If you want to live for the glory of God, you have to come back to the foundation of the work of the gospel in Jesus Christ the Lord. To live on purpose, understand the value of the gift. Here's the second thing. To live on purpose, understand our position. Understand your position in Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul comes with a humility, understanding how awesome God is and how amazing his work is. Um, uh, my, life's, my wife's life verse is, He must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. It's not about her. It's not about you. It's not about this church. It's about God. Understand our position. Understand what God has done. Paul says, though, though that I'm the very least of all of the saints. But then he says, a grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, I'm always amazed that, that God uses us. It's unbelievable. Now, God could have done it in any other way that he chose to do it, but God chose, chose and chooses to use us, to use people to further the gospel. He uses the term here to preach, to herald, to announce the good news. And we're all called to be a part of that, but, but we understand that in a, in a humility that God would take a sinner like me, a wretch like me, and save me, and then he would allow me to be a part of a working of God that people would trust Jesus Christ and people would be saved and churches would be developed and all that. I mean, you, just, you shake your head and you go, why, Lord? Humble yourselves, the Bible says, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. He must increase. That's what John the Baptist was learning as he saw Jesus baptizing people. I must decrease. That needs to be the, the story of our life. To live on purpose, I have to understand my position. And it is in Christ. But I get to preach. I get to teach. You get to live out. You get to preach. You get to herald the gospel um, of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? A, a world that has no hope, a world that has no clear direction, a world that's on its way to hell, God has given us the answer. And we get to herald that. That should humble us. Humble us. To live on purpose, I understand the value of the gift. To live on purpose, I, I need to understand my position. Here's the third thing. To live on purpose, I need to understand the importance of the message I need to understand the importance of the message. Look at verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? To bring to light. God uses us to bring to light. God uses us to shine the light. Maybe, uh, maybe today you're, you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, you know, you talked about a purpose in my life and how it's not supposed to be about my education or my job or my, and I've made it about that. I, I've made my serving in the church about me or, but I know for sure I haven't made it about God. Well, well, that's God working, shining a light. But that, that, that for followers of Jesus Christ is one thing. Paul is talking about the greater thing, the gospel, when he talks about the plan of the mystery hidden for 
ages in God who created all things. You know, I think back to uh, Genesis 3 and we have the fall of man and then we see in uh, chapter 3 and verse 15 uh, the word that is spoken and the serpent is going to lose and the son is going to win and how's that all going to work out? And we see the law coming and, and we see that um, the Bible says that um, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so we have all the sacrifices and all the rest through the Old Testament. It's all pointing towards something that's coming. It's all pointing towards one who is coming. It's all pointing towards a Messiah who is coming. Even, even on this Sunday, on this Palm Sunday, they were, here is our deliverer, here is our deliverer. But they were only thinking in the temporal, in the now. And, and God was fulfilling the eternal purpose of the mystery that was hidden for ages and now being revealed in Jesus Christ. This is an important message. This is the only message. There aren't 25 different ways to God. It's not just try harder. It's not just, well, no, you live your life the way you want. Um, Jesus was very exclusive when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ready? No man comes to the Father except by me. No man. You don't get there on another path. You don't try harder. If you, if you work and you live your life out for God and your good out outweighs your bad, maybe I'll make it that way. No, you're not going to make it that way. Uh, you're not going to go down a different path or a different religion and make your way to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You're sitting there going, that's kind of exclusive, isn't it? It's very exclusive. That's why the gospel is so important and why we need to tell everybody we can and allow God to work in their hearts and, and bring those who will trust Christ to Christ and allow God to do that work. See, the Bible says that abroad is the way that leads to destruction. There's all kinds of people who find it. Narrow is the way. One way, Jesus Christ, is the way that leads to eternal life. Understand the importance of this message that we have been given. In verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. Um, God takes and God uses us. I'm, I'm always amazed when I think about it in Corinthians, talking about that we are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. Well, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative. An ambassador speaks for the government. Canada has ambassadors all over the world. And that guy doesn't get to go and make his policies and decide what he wants to do. He, he speaks for us. He speaks for Canada. Um, we are his ambassadors. The Bible says in Corinthians, as though God was making his appeal through us. How awesome is that? That God would work through us. You're his ambassador. I am his ambassador. People will come to hear about Jesus Christ because you tell them, uh, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your, your friend, whether it's your son or your daughter, God uses us. We're not responsible for the outcome. We're responsible to be faithful in that. Understand the importance of this message. God's plan for the history have been hidden for ages is now being revealed in Christ. He is the only way Understand the importance of the message. Here's the fourth thing. If you want to live on purpose, if you want to live on purpose to glorify God, you have to get a hold again of the big picture. Now look at verses 11, 12. This was according to the eternal purpose of God. Christ coming and dying on a cross wasn't some, oops, we've got a problem with mankind. We've got to find a way to fix it. 
This was according to God's eternal purpose, which is realized or accomplished in Christ Jesus. So all the working of the law, all of the picture that those things were, all of those sacrifices that were happening, all of that was pointing us towards Jesus Christ. Says um, the end of that verse, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's not by what we accomplish. Um, I had a heart attack um, 16, 18 months ago. And um, it was interesting. I was reading, I think it was Tozer, but I was reading a book. And because um, I was wondering, will I ever preach again? Will I ever be able to do this again? And the Lord has been so gracious to me. That's a whole story. The men heard some of that story on um, last week. But um, I had to come to understand that God won't love me any more if I preach a thousand more sermons than he will love me if I never preach another sermon again. Right? God's love is consistent. God's love is full. And it's awesome what God's allowed me to be a part of. Um, but I realize that's what's been accomplished in his eternal purpose through faith in him. And I put my faith and trust in Christ. And then we have this big picture, his eternal purpose, of which we're called to. Uh, look at what the, uh, the verses say. Um, let me look again. Look at verses 11 and 12 and um, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you realize that you have access to God? See, we don't take advantage of that. If you're like me, your first inclination when something goes wrong is how can I fix this? How can I do this? When there's a struggle, even the church, we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and so often our first inclination is not to run to the cross to get on our face before God because we have access to him. Uh, maybe you're here and you have kids and maybe uh, one of those students is, is wayward from Christ. He's not walking the way you would desire for him and rejecting the Lord. And, and you're trying to do all of these things to get that kid into a right place. Except you're not praying. You're not taking the access that you have. Um, you're not crying out before God. Uh, maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe that's a neighbor. Maybe that's a um, God's eternal purpose is realized in Christ through faith in him. We have boldness, boldness to come before the Lord. We have access. That word, um, that word access is, is, is a great picture that at any time I can come to Christ. But I don't come timidly. I don't come fearfully in the sense of being afraid to come. The Bible says we come with, with boldness. The, the word literally means with a freedom of speech. I can come to God and I can tell him anything. I can tell him anything. I come with boldness. I come with access. I, I come with confidence. I, I get to come to the very throne room of God with confidence. Why? Why? Because I'm something? No, because Jesus is everything. Everything. 
Because he's accomplished what I couldn't accomplish. I don't come in my, on my own. I come through Jesus Christ. I come because of his work. Understand the big picture of his eternal purpose is being realized. And we get to come and cry out to God and ask him. And we come with boldness and access and confidence. Understand what God's eternal purpose is fulfilled in Christ. And we need to give him glory. We need to give him glory. Here's the fifth thing. I live on purpose. We need to understand the struggle to remain faithful. We need to understand the struggle to remain faithful. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. When it's difficult, we lean in. It's not going to be easy. Guaranteed in scripture. Anybody who's preaching and teaching that you trust Jesus Christ and you can have it all now. No, you can't. What we're looking for is in the next world. That's what we're going after. That's what we live for. That's what we desire. You can't have it all now. As a matter of fact, the Bible promises that in this world we're going to suffer. You just need to read First and Second Peter. And it's, it's there. It's, it's going to happen. It's not going to be easy for us. And it's not going to get easier as the days go on. But hey, hey, here's our confidence. God is going with us through it. He will be our strength. He will be our helper. He will be our encouragement. And, and Paul puts this out for them. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Which is for your glory. Paul says, I'm suffering for you. Uh, Paul was... Uh, a man who hated believers, hated Jesus, consented to having people put to death who were followers of Christ, was going out to persecute the church. And in Acts 9, he meets Jesus Christ in the, his gospel experience where he comes to faith in, in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. And he comes to Christ. And, and basically the rest of his life he spends in jail. Now, he traveled around a lot. He went to a lot of places. But, but as he went from place to place, he was, he was persecuted. He was um, uh, beaten. He was all kinds of things happened to him because, because of his love for Christ, because of his desire to uh, be used by God. And did you ever think about like this letter even that we're looking at? We, we read these letters and we go like, this is amazing what, what Paul did. And he wrote these letters and he sent them. Think about it this way. So he's writing most of these while he's either under house arrest or in prison. Sending them with someone to, this one to Ephesus and thinking, I hope it gets there. Some of them maybe not ever knowing whether they ever got there, whether they ever got delivered. See, we, get, we understand it because we understand the rest of the story. But, but there he is just being faithful to God, not knowing what would happen. And so he writes the books of Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon. He, he writes the book of Romans and, and he sends them out. And he didn't know that they were going to be put in leather and bound and we would be reading them for the rest of our lives. And yet God worked and God did something way beyond what he could even imagine. God took his word and God preserved it and God used it. So not only the people in Ephesus, but the people in Kelowna could be blessed by what Paul wrote because he protected it and he uses it for his glory. See, don't give up when it gets hard. 
You don't know the influence you're having. You don't know the impact that's coming out of your life. And you may never know it. You may not see it on this side. You may see it when we get to heaven as followers of Jesus Christ. But you be faithful. You be faithful. You know, one of the things about leaving a church is that um, people come and they tell you the stories of how you've blessed them. Um, And we were so encouraged by so many people that God used. And... um, Hearing stories, a guy would write a card and he would say, um, I came to Harvest Bible Chapel with a friend and, and you preached a sermon and that day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I never knew. I didn't even know. Um, another one where you see somebody get in the baptismal tank and they tell the story of coming to faith and trust in Christ and how through a small group in the church, God had worked through some people and they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I didn't know. I didn't know. See, we don't know how God is taking and using what we're doing and using it for his glory. Just as Paul is writing the book of Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon's and he's writing Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Corinthians and he's writing Romans, writing all of these books, just trying to encourage people, trying to help them, not understanding how God is going to use it to impact every one of you in this room today. See, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up when it's hard. When our eyes are focused on the glory of God, when it gets hard, we keep our eyes on the glory of God, not on a snotty-nosed kid, not on the fact that the system won't work right, not on the, we get our eyes on the right thing and watch what God will do and allow him to get the glory through what's going on. Well, two more. To live on purpose, you have to understand who is our source. We have to understand who is our source. Um, The source of our strength, the source of our confidence, the source of our salvation, the source of our uh, sanctification. Paul in the next verses, and I'm going to very quickly go over these, he, he really comes to a prayer for them in verses 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just pick, I'm just going to pick out a few highlights from these verses. Here's the first thing he says. Um, when you understand the source, you bow the knee. You bow the knee. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. What reason? Well, because of all that Christ has done. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When was the last time you bowed the knee to the Father? I mean, like, you know, you were angry about something, you've got this thing going on in your life, and you won't let it go, and you're like, I'm going to bow my knee to the Father. I'm giving that over to him. I'm not bringing it up anymore. I'm going to bow the knee. When was the last time when you got out of bed in the morning that you you got down on your knees and you prayed? I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to bow the knee. And you're like, well, you you don't have to do that physically. You can do that in your heart. Well, that's true because some people bow the knee uh, physically and haven't bowed the knee of their heart. I get that. But there's nothing that says, Lord, I am humbling myself before you like getting on your knees, getting on your knees before the Lord. 
Beside your bed as the day starts or somewhere along the line, getting on your knees, maybe even right down flat out on the floor, on your face before God, understanding God is in heaven, I am on earth. I just let my words be few. God, I come before you, I humbly bow my knee. See, every knee will bow. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you bowed the knee in humility when you understood you couldn't satisfy God and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You put your plan aside and you went with what God has done and His glory. You bowed the knee. You bowed the knee. Or maybe there's some people in the room, you go, I'm not bowing the knee. I'm not going to. I'm just not going to do it. You can preach all you want to me. I've heard this message before. I'm not going to bow the knee. Well, can I very as gently as I can say, yes, you are. You're going to bow the knee. You say, no, I'm not. Well, if I don't believe in gravity, it doesn't, believe it's, doesn't mean it's not there. And so you go like, well, I can jump off the second story. It's not going to hurt because I choose not to believe in gravity. Hey, but gravity means it's going to fall. Honey, make sure I don't forget that. It's going to fall because gravity is real whether you believe it or not. And the Bible says you're going to bow the knee. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul said in Philippians. Every knee. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you bow the knee and you declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's in your salvation and it's well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you will declare that Jesus, you'll stand before God one day. I don't believe in God. You may not believe in gravity. It doesn't mean it's not true. And you will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and God will say, I never knew you. And you'll be separated from God in what the Bible clearly teaches is hell forever. Paul in the text, he says, um, I need to understand my resource. I understand who God is. And as a result, it makes me bow the knee. It says strengthen with power through his spirit. I love that verse. I can't do this life on my own. I'm strengthened through his spirit. It's God who sustains me. It's God who sustains me to live for the glory of God. It's God who sustains me to do the job that he's called me to. It's God's spirit that gives wisdom to do these things. It's God's spirit that'll help you with your friend or with your neighbor or with your financial struggle or with whatever your thing is. It's God's spirit that does this. And Paul saw that he says, it's his spirit, the power of his spirit it's working in my inner being, it says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your, heart, in your hearts. So that's a, a picture not of a, of a rental situation, but a permanent situation. Because we'll dwell in your heart. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the psalmist wrote. And then look at this next. It says, being rooted and grounded in love. Two, two pictures of just how secure we are in Jesus Christ. Understand who is our source and we are rooted in him like a living tree rooted in the ground. Uh, we are grounded in him. That's a picture of a building with a, a well set foundation. Uh, that's the picture of what God has done for us. That's the picture of the one we give glory to and we understand he is our Source, And then in verse 17, 18, he says that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all the other followers of Christ, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the work of Jesus Christ. 
One writer said it like this, the love of Jesus has breadth. God's love is wide enough to include people everywhere. That's why we have a vision to plant churches, not in Canada only, not in Kelowna, not just in the valley here, but around the world because God's love is wide enough to include people everywhere. The love of Jesus has length. God's love is long enough to last throughout all eternity. God's The love of Jesus has depth. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. The love of Jesus has height. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. You know, back to the second last one, God's um, love has depth. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're like, but Paul, you don't know me. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my sin. Um, I've trusted Jesus Christ and I just, I'm in awe that he would even love me, but God could never use me. Seriously? Seriously? The guy who wrote the book would put people to death. God can't forgive your sin. God can't use you. Uh, maybe, maybe there's some limitations as to what God will do as a result of sin in your life. I, I, I met a guy one time who uh, lived in London, Ontario, and um, he was during the week going around robbing banks. And in the weekends, he was serving as a deacon in the church. And he got caught, and he was found guilty, and he did his time. They don't let him count the offering in the church there. That seems like a probably wise thing. Or maybe they do now. But when he first came out, it's like, yeah, probably shouldn't let you play with the money um, just because of what you've been through. But it didn't mean he couldn't serve. It didn't mean he couldn't be part of the church. And that church loved him and that church worked with him. And God, God doesn't stick people on the bench when they're in repentance and they've been restored. And God uses us in amazing ways, just as he did with Paul the Apostle. God's love is wide enough and long enough and deep enough and high enough. Paul says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ. Paul wrote of something that we can all know, that we can know the love of Christ. Here's the last thing. To live on purpose, we have to understand our resource or understand who is our resource. Look at, look at this last a couple of verses. It's a, what we call a doxology. It's interesting, um, you know, Pastor Melvin, sometimes when you're preaching and people think you're coming to the end and like it's the end of chapter three and then he goes on for two more chapters. So if, you know, Pastor Melvin's preaching and he, he gets back onto something, well, Paul the Apostle kind of does it right here, right? He gives his, the closing to his message and then he keeps on going. But what we want to see is these verses. Now to him. See, how do I live for the glory of God? Not by me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's God's spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Who? Now to him. The ability to live for the glory of God is not based on what you can accomplish. It's based on what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Now to him. When? Well, right now. See, that idea of now isn't like, well, you know, after I get my education done, then I'll really live for Jesus. After we get our house paid off, well, then we'll really live for Jesus. Um, after the kids are a little bit older, well, then we'll really live for Jesus. No, no, now. That's what that verse is. That verse is all about the right now. Now is the time. Now to him, 
To him, all things were made through him, John 1, 3 says, and without him was not anything made that was made. What we do is for him and it's for now. But what is able to do? Now to him who is able to do. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost, Hebrews 7. He's able to help those who are tempted, Hebrews 2. He's able to subdue all things unto himself, Philippians 3. He's able to deliver from the fires of life, Daniel 3, 16 and 17. He's able to build us up, Acts 20, 32. He's able to set us free, Matthew 9, 28. He's able to keep us from falling, Jude 24. And in this one, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to do it beyond measure. He's able to do it super abundantly. Beyond what we could even ask or think. So an illustration from the church that I just served in was we were growing and God was doing a work in our church and, and, and the elders, we sat down and we were thinking about the four pillars and, and what, what they meant to us and how we were doing with those and where was our focus and all the rest. And, and uh, we decided that we were working hard. We weren't perfect. That I was the preacher, so the preaching wasn't perfect, but we were, we were working hard at that. We were working hard at focus on worship and making sure it was vertical. And, and we realized that we needed to put a stronger focus on prayer and, and encouraging people in evangelism. And, and we started to pray. And we started to pray that God would help us to do that. We probably would have been a church of about 200 at that point. And, and we asked the Lord, would you give us 300 people? Would you give us 300 people? And he did. And we asked, would you give us 400 people? And he did. Now be careful what you ask for. We now had a church of 400 messed up people of who I was chief, right? So they, we, we were thinking like, Lord, would you give us more people? Would you give us more people? And you know, then there'll be more offering and the room will be fuller and all the rest of it. We would have to go to two services. Wouldn't that be cool? And all of that, our heart wasn't wrong, but we thought about those things and didn't think that with that came the struggles that came with those extra 200 people that then showed up. And I'm so thankful for them because God was doing a work and God did beyond what we could ask or even think. We never dreamt we would have 400 people and then God did it and then God grew it again and God did what he did. And believe me, God grew our church, not because of my good looks. God grew a church because he was at work in our church. And you know, when I, when I resigned from our church, I had to resign three times because we had three services. And then they had three farewell services. Like it's like, oh my goodness, it's gonna kill me before this day is over. But that's because God did work beyond what we could ask or even imagine, or even think. See, when you live for the glory of God, you're not tied into the things of right now, but looking to beyond our wildest dream. Why? Because of his power. It's his power working in us. Doxology, which these verses are, always leads to duty. When you live for the glory of God, it always leads to duty. It always leads to, oh my goodness, Lord, you are so awesome. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Not to get to you. That's already taken care of in Jesus Christ. But because I am in Christ, doxology always leads to duty. And it's like, what can I do? How can I serve? How could God use me for his honor and for his glory? So this is the why. It's for the glory. It's for the glory. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We serve for the glory. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. So what are you living for today? What is your purpose in life? God help us to get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and to live for his glory and then allow those other things in our lives to become the priority in the place that they should be, but putting him first. Him first in my life, him first in our church. The goal is that God would get the glory. Well, so what? So I finished every message ever did in my church. So what? So what? You came to church today. You heard a message about uh, what we're supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be, and how we're supposed to be focused on it. And, but so what? See, I want to ask you, what's, what's the nugget for you today? As you think back through that message, what was the thing that God said to you? That's what you need to do. That's what you need to get right. That's what you need to get focus on. And maybe instead of the priority of your kids being the be-all and end-all of your life, you need to get your focus on God to be the be-all and the end-all of my life. And, and then I'll, I'll serve my kids and I'll lead them. I don't, I don't know what the so what is for you, but you have one if you're here, if you're a follower of Christ. God's word doesn't return void. So what is it? Maybe it's just simple as like, I've been living for myself. I'm a follower of Christ, but I, I've, been, I've been doing all the stuff around here. I've been doing all the stuff in my family. And I, yeah, I love Jesus, but, but I haven't put him on the throne. I haven't sought to put him first. What, so what, what's the nugget for you? When we understand that it's not just about doing the stuff, but about God's glory, the rest of it will just kind of come into place. And does it mean it's going to be easy? No, nope, it's going to be difficult, but you won't quit. You won't give up. You won't pack it in. Why? Because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the fame of our savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we're here to discover the God who made us to live for his glory and to show off how awesome he really is so that others will see the glory of God too. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for um, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. We thank you for the way that you worked um, in his life. He didn't understand or know that as he wrote this letter that Paul Whittingstall would stand up in Kelowna um, on this day and open your word and talk about some things he had written about. He, he didn't know any of that. And, and yet he wrote and he served for the glory of God. Would you uh, teach us, God, how we can do that? Would you teach us from your word that we would have a focus on you first in our lives so that when it's difficult, we don't quit. When it's difficult, we don't give up. And, and even when it's great, we get our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith, Lord. Do this work. Do it for your fame. Do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.